We've won again. This is good. But what is best in life? How about... Wrong! I would summon a demon more ferocious than all in hell! Wrong! What is best in life? Crush your enemy, see them driven before you, and let a lamentation of the women. Contemplate this on the tree of woe. Howdy, 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 folks. We are back with another Garage Gamer. I am back, Dave Whitek here with you, and... With our foreign correspondent, the other third of Garage Hammer, Greg Dan. Greg, what's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm good, you? Fantastic. Greg's Greg's one third of Garage Hammer. He's also after Olinor, and he's also Imperial Truth. He is all over the Warhammer spectrum. Yeah. Uh, So we're here today because, as usual, Greg was at the Black Library Weekender. I was. And um, now this is just Black Library, not Horus Heresy. They have their own weekender, right? Um, yeah, but they do cover some of the Horus Heresy books. So they cover so, some of it at Black Library. But Horus Heresy weekender is basically. Hunt, yeah. Her- yeah, gaming as well, though. So gaming and books. Oh, so they do, a thir- they do some of the 30K gaming there, too. That, well, they have gaming, they have modelers, they have painters. Oh, um, nice. It's, it's a Forge World event, really, with. Black Library there as well, so. Oh, that sounds that's that's cooler than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be awesome this year. Tickets sold out uh, not long ago. They could only have been up for about two weeks. So, wow. with them, um, <laughs> well, they lasted longer than the than the Kane book. So we're <laughs> doing okay there. Wow, how about that, huh? Like five minutes, it sold out in America. Um, yeah, well, it sold out in the UK inside ten. It Did caught it? me off guard. Yeah. Um, I was away in an event, so I missed it on the pre-order. But so I had I've, a bit of an internet rage moment on the day it came out. I was so I was kind of frustrated. I got to admit, I was kind of frustrated with the way that all went down, me personally. Here, yeah. I, I Now, here's, here's the thing, and I, I've sort of, now that I've calmed down, uh, a couple of things that people keep, kept saying, well, you know, they put out Nagash and, and Glotkin in paperback, and I have not found that anywhere on the U.S. site. Somebody, somebody, and I, I clicked over to the the U.K. site for G for GW, and they had them there. There's, I think they're sold out, but they were there at least. Like, they're not even on the U.S. website. You can't find them. So I don't know if they just released the paperbacks over by you or what. Right. Okay, so the first seminar I went to was the End Time Seminar, which okay. was the, the only Warhammer sem- seminar they had, I think. Well, though, tell a lie, there was um, author-specific seminars which had Warhammer to do with it, but um, it was brought up about, well, I think I may have brought it up, I can't remember, um, and they said they were putting more volumes of Kane out um, than they did of Nagash and Glockin. Essentially, they were caught off guard with um, demand, basically. Uh, you know, they're going to plan demand based on what they've sold previously on Warhammer products. So what's the lead time for their books? Did anybody say that? Like how much time they actually need? Because 
Well, they're probably shipped from somewhere like China. Right. Because a lot of printing's done in China. So I believe, although it wasn't corroborated, that Glockin was already done by the time the gas sold. Okay. So whether it was on the boat or, or whatever. So they had no chance to change that. And and to be honest, um, I would have expected Nagash to have sold better than Glockin because Nagash is a name and the Glockin was some dude who's new. So I don't know if they were caught out on that as well. So they were able to print 2,000, I think it was 2,000 more copies of Kane than than they did of Nagash and Glockin. Oh, okay. So, so there were more copies of, of Kane out. Um, they also stated that the paperbacks were probably going to come in January. So okay. I wonder if they've revised that, pushed them forwards, and that's why they're not available in America yet, because they're not in America yet. I see. see so now, that makes sense to me. Now, this is this is why I've calmed down, basically. And this is... And I'm not going on an anti-GW rant here, but here's the thing. They put up on their website the limited edition, 500 copies of the Fancy Pants edition. Then they put up this other edition, okay? No word that it's also a limited edition and that eventually there's going to be paperbacks and people scramble. And I know they want to sell. You know what I'm saying? They want to sell them. If they would have just said, hey... There's going to be more copies coming out in a month. This is just the hard, for those of you who really want the hardback. I think it still would have sold out. That's my point. Right. I think it still would have sold out, and you wouldn't have people scrambling, panicking, getting really angry that, hey, I you know I want this so bad, and you don't have it for me. Okay. Right. So Nagash comes out. First off, I don't think it was a limited run. I think it was just a print run. Okay. Right, so they printed so many. They don't know how many they're going to sell. They're basing it off figures of of Warhammer books they've sold in the past. Right. So they have to come up with a number. They, If they are redoing Warhammer in some form, they don't want it sitting on the shelf, taking up shelf space. I think this is part of the issue, is that Warhammer's not generating the profit compared to the shelf space of 40K. So they want to move a bit of that shelf space around. Um so intentions of the first print run, following print runs may be done in a different form. So that's 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 an, an idea I get. <clears throat> Excuse me. No worries. The other thing is, yes, they sold out of Nagash. Problem is, we're selling out of Nagash. Black Library had this thing. Uh, they were doing the Horace Heresy limited edition releases. Right. And people were moaning because there were only X amount of copies of them. And they crashed the Black Library site and everything else when they were coming up for sale. So what they did was they moved to a week-long pre-ordering system for these limited copies. So there were limited copies of a week's worth of people buying them. So the limited copies were down to how many they sold. It turns out they didn't actually sell many more than they did of the limited number run. So say it was 3,000, they were only selling three and a half thousand copies when they opened it up to everyone. So okay. although okay. it sells out quickly, there's only 500 people, say. Right, so so the fact something sells out doesn't always show you how much demand there is. When you 
it does to an extent. I, I hope I'm. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, it sold out in five minutes, and there's a whole lot of people saying, "Hey, I didn't even get it." You know, now okay. a lot of people are going to their local game store, and and they're going to be getting copies. But I know, like my personal, my local game store, it's a small game store, and we sold. They sold four or five copies of Nagash. They got four copies of Glotkin, and they were all taken. Chris, you had to find another game store like out of state to get one from, and now we're getting one maybe only two copies of Kane. And so it's like I've already spoken for one of them. If they don't get another one, Chris is going to have to go out of state again. <laughs> We're already talking to these other guys. Um, it, it, just, it, does, it seems like there's not – it's, it's not meeting the demand, it just at least from where we're sitting. And that that's – Okay. Know. All right. Let me go back to another one. Um, Warhammer tournament in England, um, Mersey Meltdown. It's really popular. 8.30 on the dot, people are scrabbling to get their money in. And because they know it's going to be popular, they did. There were still six places left. So take that in, take into account, okay, there is demand. There are also demand of people who are trying to buy multiple copies to sell on eBay. GW did limit how many you could buy on the on the website at one time. I believe it was limited to two. That's okay. at least my... my that's what my game store told me, that the online stuff said they can only order two. So the people I know who do this will have their partner and whoever ordering copies as well. So GW have got to try and balance how many extra copies they're doing for demand, and then if people are eBaying them, that puts everything out of kilter. Now, there is a there is an argument that the more you put out... Um, the less get eBayed because of that thing, but they still don't want stock sitting on the shelf. When you combine that with the fact that they know they're putting out softback copies and digital copies on the iPad, and I know not everyone's got an iPad, but a lot of people do. Right. Then this book is available. Well, and that's the thing. They, I had no idea the softback copies were coming out. Like, people were rumors, and there was people saying, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm saying, tell us, dude, relax. In a month, we're going to have soft covers out for anyone. who. If, this is just for people who have to, have to, have to have the hardcover. And and I think that would ha- that would help kill the eBay market on top of it. Because people know, well, why am I going to pay you double when I, if I wait a month, I right. can get the soft cover. I'm just saying if they would tell us. I get why they don't tell us about the models. But the books... I'm thinking if they just give us a heads up, I think right. there would be a lot less people freaking out. Okay, so as soon as um, as soon as they kind of realise that this is becoming an issue, they they've pushed these softback books forwards. There's no doubt about that. Sure, uh, that doesn't stop the eBay market. Uh, I've seen people offering offering to pay seventy five pound for the Glockin hardback, even though. The softbacks are out. Now, see if I if I miss the hardback, I'll wait for the soft. I mean, me personally. I mean, I just I don't have that yeah. kind of money to throw around. There's got to be people like me who, if they know they can get it in a month for regular price, that they're not going to pay double now. I mean, I can't be the only one. Right. So, I'm not saying that GW are perfect. I've never said that. So, there are people out there who want these hardbacks and are prepared to pay seventy five pounds for these hardback novels. I've seen it. It's yeah. happened. So you will get that. Um, GW put out extra canes. That actually probably means that 
a lot more are going on eBay, rightly or wrongly. The only way GW can stop that is to put out um, many more books and then that risks being stuck on their shelves that they don't want. I think that is the problem with this thing. That was why you're getting the softbacks, which are slightly cheaper, and why you, they want, you know, they were pushing the digital product. Right. Because of issues with those first two, they bought Nagash and Glockin forwards, and I can see Kane coming forwards as well in softback. I can see the release coming. I think the, the, the anger would not be there if you just know that it's going to be more because seriously, once it's sold out, I mean, everyone asks their local game store, when are you getting the next shipment in? When are you getting the next, the next batch? There, there isn't one. You know, I mean, that's, that's what we're getting. We're getting, there's not another, yeah. you know, set cool. coming out. And because there isn't another hardback set coming out. But if they knew, hey, it's, it is coming, I just, that's just me. I mean, I'm beating a dead horse here at this point. And because GW didn't have a date for the books. If, G, if GW had put a date out and then bought it forwards, there'd be all kinds of remarks about their business practices, everything else. True. They, they're doing what they can to get these books out. And the softback books, as I said, I just, I think, if I didn't get the hardback, I'd have been annoyed. I'd probably have sold my hardbacks for a profit because people still want to buy them and wait for the softbacks. Pick them all up in softback. I see what you're saying. The issue I've got is I'm a collector by kind of nature and I have to cut back sometimes on what I'm collecting. I want all these in hardback on my shelf because it looks good. But at the end of the day, if I fail to get one, I'll probably just sell them all, go and get the softbacks get a, you know recoup some money honestly if i wasn't getting them right away so that i could do the show i'd wait yeah or Be- i'd get them on my ipad yeah yeah exactly i agree with you 100 percent. i would totally you know i actually i would probably buy them all for my ipad but i don't have an ipad a work gives me an ipad uh that i can use for work and i'm allowed to just you know i'm allowed to put anything on it that's not you know, you know, don't download porn onto your work iPad. But you know, I, I, so I have a subscription to, you know, uh, Warhammer Visions and and that type of stuff. And I, I just don't want to buy any of the books or things like that on the iPad. And then if I stop working there, I got to give it back. Then I got to go out and buy an iPad, or I, or I've lost access to all my stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, so that's the only reason I haven't done it is because I actually don't have one of my own, and I'm, you know, I'm too cheap to go out and buy one when I've got a free one. So. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I hope there's people um, who you know are left with copies of the hardback of Kane that aren't selling for the value they bought them for. I doubt, as I say, I doubt that's going to happen because people want to collect the hardbacks. But I, I don't suspect it will be that long before the softbacks out. Yeah, Glockin was under a month, was it? About a month. So, yeah, yeah, and they're not, I'm ninety percent sure they've rushed them through a month and a bit early. To get them out to people, I've still got a copy of Unremembered Empire that is sealed, numbered. I haven't even opened it. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't even get. I couldn't even sell it on eBay. I had no takers. Whatever. That's not the point of this episode. So, okay, now that I'm done ranting and we're sort of explaining where all this is coming from, why don't we get to the more fun part of it? Because this is this is the part that you know. This is the ugh part. I gotta tell you though, before we get into the the meat and potatoes of what they told you at the seminar, you know, as, as, as exciting as this is with all this cool new garage gaming stuff, I, there's, I have two concerns 
One, and it's actually not my concern. Is you know, a lot of people on the tournament scene are concerned because they they're like, you know, this is throwing huge monkey wrenches into a tournament, the tournament version of the game. Um, I'm not that worried about it because I just figured don't just don't allow it. But you know, what do I know? So, you got any right. thoughts on that one? Um, anyone who plays Warhammer, who anyone who plays in any GW game and has illusions that GW give the slightest care about your tournament game uh, are deluding themselves. Um, GW try and make the coolest game they can for telling stories. They always have done. They always will do. Um, yeah, well, they did They did support and, and participate in the tournament scene for a while, which I think, you know, we built up an idea that they did care, you know? And so now that they've pulled out, there's, there's still... Even back then, they... they, they, they came out and said, you know, this is a garage game, this is a game for telling stories. Um, they've always they've always said, you know, the rules are there to be used by you to play the game as you want. They've always kind of advocated that if you can have a third person overseeing your game and changing rules and adding things in as a as a games master, then that's a good thing to do. Um, that's the way the company's always been. And, you know, we want to play the game in a tournament setting then, what the end times mean uh, in terms of these books is that the tournament organizer has to work a little bit more. That, that's the end of it. And, and if you don't like what's going on at a tournament, then don't attend that tournament. I was recently yep. at Glory. We had Nagash. We had Carl Franz. We had any rules that were, you know, legit rules from Nagash and the Glockkin books. Did Nagash or Carl Franz win the tournament? Uh, no. Um, it would have done, I think, had Ben Diesel's paint score been higher. <laughs> uh, did, who did Diesel, did Diesel take? Take Carl Franz. Yeah, Carl Franz. Yeah, um, it's easier than taking Nagash. Um, well, I mean, uh, who knows? I mean, model wise and paint wise. I mean, I you know I like Ben. I met him. He was here for Wapaka. He's a great guy. But it's very obvious he's going to, you know, if you were chosen between Nagash and painting all those models for stuff to summon or taking Carl Franz and a bunch of cannons and knights and shoving it in people's face, I would, I would, I would easily put money that he would pick the second one. I don't know his reasons. All I know is that he made a decision late and he wouldn't have got his armies painted and he didn't get his empire painted. Um, because oh. it was a late decision to take it it was it was painted to a level but um scored quite a few less painting points than a lot of people but then he had a game term game his game four out of the five out of six sorry where he dwellers a nagash so um off the table like turn one so i mean who knows <laughs> uh, ben diesel but there were <laughs> There were Nagashes up on the top tables, and there was some in the mid tables. There was Carl Franz up near the top tables, but the idea of the scenarios was to try and counter that. Um, there's a couple of Glockkins around, and some of the um, uh, the other Nurgle dudes from that book, I believe. Okay. But yeah, you know, I went to that tournament and. I took an army, and I knew that if I played Nagash or Carl Franz, well, Nagash particularly, there was no chance of me winning any any game against him. That's 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 the, them's the breaks. If you want to go to a tournament and they're allowing Nagash rules, you can't moan too much that you played Nagash. Yep, you can moan, but you know you should have <laughs> expected it. So, 
it's the nature of the beast. But yeah, GW, GW have always, they make a game that's cool. Um, I think this has only been highlighted even more with the rise of Privateer Press. Privateer Press's marketing strategy of ours is a tournament game, come and play a really hard rule set is great. Great marketing strategy when they came out was brilliant. And I think Games Workshop have looked at them and Malifaux and a number of other games and said, you go and have your perfect tournament game, allegedly. We'll go, have, we'll go and have our build your own hero, tell a story game. Yeah. And I think they, they really pin their badge on that now. I wonder how many people play. I, I mean, know. I know it's a stupid Warhammer, like either 40K or fantasy. I mean, you always hear this, you know, you, you hear a lot of tournament players. Uh, you know, I've heard it. I know you've heard it saying that, you know, the tournament players make up the bulk of their their players. And Put it this way, until about seven years ago, every single person on my local GW was a non-tournament player. Okay. As simple as that. Every single person in there was a non-tournament player. About two, well, maybe eight or nine years ago. Pretty much. Well, and I know so, there's a lot of gaming clubs that play, and they play a lot on their own. And, I mean, lot, don't get me was, wrong. I like the tournament scene. I enjoy going to the tournaments around here. I'm not trying to poo-poo it. I just, I, I'm curious as to what percentage are actually tournament players because I think, and I don't know how it is, I mean, I don't know how it is countrywide because U.S. is a pretty big place, but I know a lot of these tournaments, you're seeing, a, you know, it's a 100-guy tournament. You see the same two, 300 people at a lot of these tournaments, you know, for the most part. And then there's a few other guys who are dabbling. Um, but I think a lot of the dabblers, I mean, there's 200 spots at... Uh, Adepticon, you know there's some people who are going. I know Jim Wapple, who was just on our last Garage Hammer episode. You know, he goes and he plays, and he loves the game, and he plays, but he's there for the painting. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, Brandon, Brandon um, from GMM Studios, he's said a hundred times, he he has terrible army lists, and he's not going there with any delusions of going there to as, as a tournament player to win. He's going there for painting and to show off his work, you know, and he takes whatever looks good on his display board and then he just plays it for fun so i think if you took the the i'm just here for fun tournament players out of that tournament player equation i'm wondering what percentage of warhammer because dude they, they make like a lot of money i mean i can't believe that it's all tournament players spending all that damn money games workshop are a hundred million pound company and i would so guess yeah that's like the quarter of a billion dollars in U.S. money, isn't there? Something like that? Something? No. 200 million, maybe. That's a lot, though. I I reckon tournament players are in the less than 5% bracket of what they sell. You think it's that low? Yep. I reckon. I mean, I could be wrong. But I think I, it's I, yeah. digits. At I was going to guess 15% myself. I mean, I had, I mean, that was my guess. I don't know. Where we are, where, say where I where I am um, in 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 England in the southeast, there wasn't a gaming club in my local area until we set one up. Pretty much, there was one. It was historical gaming, and there were a handful of forty k gamers, but there wasn't really a proper gaming club. Um, most most people play in their garage with their mates in their thing for the first what twenty. Uh, 14 years of my gaming was at my mate's house on his kitchen table. Four of us, four or five of us. 
Yeah. And that's nice how gaming goes on. See, it's funny because I only played with Christopher and Harrison forever, and then I met the other guys. And, you know, Chris loves the tournament scene. He plays. Chris, you plays in the tournament scene. Grant worked for GW. He's on the tournament scene. Most of our gaming groups and our gaming clubs play in the tournament scene. But I got to say, you know, I mean, some of the most fun we've had, and I mean, you can go back and listen to our old shows, Chris, a lot of the other guys saying it, you know, the Triumph and Treachery games. The ones that are just, you know, it's, it makes a good, fun story, a good, fun time with your buddies. You know, I mean, well, my campaign sort of is put on hold until we figure out the new rules because I was, I wrote a campaign with a whole bunch of cool stuff based on the old rule set, and now none of it's affected. But I was excited to try, you know, like you, like you said earlier, someone who coming in, trying out, a, you know, adding some new rules, making it fun, making a story out of it. I, I'm all for that, you know. Um I was talking to people at the weekend, and, and you know, some of the guys I was talking to agree with me. I don't go to tournaments for the Warhammer. You know, I don't go for the for the tournament Warhammer. I go to see my mates to chill out and to play some games. Um, and that's been the, the case for you know for a little while. I did go to try and compete, but it's not about that for me anymore. Um, it's it's about having fun games. With, with, as I say, with with nice people and, and chatting and, and, and socialising over a game of Warhammer and hopefully creating some cool stories. I wonder what percentage just... that breaks down to, too. Listen to me today. I'm just feeling, I don't know what's wrong with me. I wonder what percentage of the players are like that. Because honestly, I don't go in there. I mean, I, I, I try to do my best, but everybody knows. You know, I mean, I've been told many times, you know what, go take a really hard competitive list if you really want to try to compete once. And I guess the fact that I never really do just shows that I just don't really care. As much as I like winning, I'm really there to have fun, you know? And I wonder what percentage of that breaks down, too, because, I mean, you see it with, you know, some of the podcasts, a lot of the podcasts, you got people who are, you know, every every episode is a reporting on the last tournament they were at. Tournament, 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 playing, playing, playing. I took third. I took fifth. I took second. You know, and then you got a lot of, on you know, on the on the social media, too, a lot of these guys who are all gung-ho with their tournament. And so I think it comes across to people who are on the different social media or listening that the majority of the people are those guys. And I'm just I'm just curious as to how it actually splits. Realistically, the people that can actually win an event at an event are, what, 10 to 20% of the people there are in with the chance of winning it, realistically. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that would be about right. I don't go to these events thinking, you know, you, at Blood and Glory you had you know, Rustfield, um, probably one of the best players of Warhammer I've seen. You know, Heelan was there trying to do his bit. Um, uh, uh, you know, a number of other people could go through. Like, you know, Diesel's there, he wants to try and win. Dom's been up there. You go through all these people and, you know, they're trying to win. And then... You know, I played Steve Wren, I played Byron from Element Games, and yeah, they're going to try and win the games they're in, then, you know, that's, that's to be expected. And right. they've got to be trying to do as well as they can do, but they're not going to sit there and, I'm sure Steve Wren would say that he's not there to try and win the tournament. Um, he might be there to try and win a painting prize. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. That's great. But I, I would I would think that most people there aren't there to try and win the tournament. But when you're there, you're going to try and do as well as you can. That's that's to be expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody goes and rocks up to the table hoping to lose. But some of us are more realistic about our chances of taking it overall. So 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So, all right, so I've wasted like a good 30 minutes of our time here yammering on about stupidity. Why don't we get to what you, your Black Library Weekender seminar, why don't we uh, get to all the cool info that you got? Yeah, I think um, this was the one thing with the Black Library Weekender this year was there was a heavy emphasis on writing, even more so than there has been. Uh, So there were a lot of writing seminars, which were great by all accounts i didn't really go to many of them but so the the rest of the weekend like that was probably about a quarter of the of of the seminars and then the other three were divided between the heresy 40k and uh, you know a smidgen of of warhammer in there okay Um, the end times was one of the main ones it's just there was less information given out of this one as well it was more a kind of discussion topics generally um, and talking what can be what could be what 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 things are occurring but without giving away any real spoilers or anything like that but the end times one was interesting i did ask if if we haven't seen a character's head separated from his shoulders is it safe to assume they're not dead yes it is <laughs> i just got i just got a chuckle back so i did ask um some names and I didn't get any replies. Thorek uh, better be alive. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be really cool if he's ascended. I mean, he hurt. So, you know, I mean, he got hurt and he was beat pretty bad. But dwarves are tough, man. A broken. I mean, what's that? What's in the dwarf book? That one guy, the one who waited to crown uh, uh, Thorgrim Grudgebearer. Dude, he was sitting there dying. He just sat there and refused to die for years, waiting for this, waiting yeah. for the worthy king to come. Just sat flat out, said nope. I'm not dying. I'm going to sit here and live until I find a successor. That's... Yeah, there's a couple more dwarf gods that could give their power. So you bestow their power in a in a Cole Franz-esque way. So, you know, it has potential for him to be dead, uh, for to be him to be alive. So, but they, yeah, they were being very tight-lipped on this because it's not a Black Library event. It's a GW event. So GW are leading this with their big books and Black Library have basically been invited to tell the story with them. Okay. So these, these accompanying books are written off the back of the GW books. That That is very much the driving force. Um, Matt Ward was the, apparently the guy who came up with the, the concept of, of what's going to happen through the through the end times and other writers have joined in because Matt Ward's not with the company anymore um, but Phil Kelly's one of the main guys going through it but I, I like that I like I like the fact that these stories as I spoke about and then the Gash one on the review it, it fills in gaps and, and like weaves through the main story filling out more info on what's going on um, I haven't started Fall of Outdorf yet but that, that does the same thing, and they're going to be coming out with a Marenberg one with them, that that fall in. And we're even going to get some short stories as well, including Graham O'Neill's last ever Warhammer novel. Or Warhammer story, should I say? It's not a novel. It's a short his story. Last, what did we repeat that? What? Graham O'Neill's writing his last ever Warhammer story. Why is it his last ever? Because it's his last ever. That's all he'd say to me. He's still writing 40k in Heresy. He's just not writing Warhammer anymore. Um, okay. 
have got the impression it's due to the changes that are going to occur to Warhammer. So this is this is me trying to read the situation. Maybe that you know it's part of the cutting back on, on what they're putting out Warhammer wise. Because I mean the Time of Legend series, the Elf ones been cut down from however many books to I think just a trilogy things like that they really you know they came out with the time of legends and it was supposed to be this thing to rival the heresy but um, within a year they just kind of went nope we're not doing those half day stories anymore and we're not doing this and we're not doing that because they didn't sell enough oh yep it's um, you know at the end of the day Black Library got to make money you know given these yeah these authors and if they're not selling enough books then it's not worth their time but it's a damn shame cause it is because the Gotrek and Felix especially like when that when they stopped that last series and you know it's like oh we gotta get Snorri back to the Karak because he lost his memory and if he can't figure out why he's a slayer he'll never get into slayer heaven I was like oh my god this is a great and it was like oh no we're not writing these books anymore what and now they got the two parter I got that on order. Yeah, um, I still think they might be writing Black Library novels, just a lot less um, Warhammer novels. Yeah. Because um, the, the, in the seminar was David Geimer, who's writing the um, the two last two Gotrick books. And he was saying yeah, all the... Because every book with Slayer in the title is like the main story. Um, and then those other books like... Uh, was it the corn one? Road of Skulls is they fit into points in the story. So Black Library have got the option after the Doom of Gotrick is finished um, to go back and fill in stories in his timeline. But I, I'm just shocked they're killing him. Like I mean, it's, I mean, I, I mean, I, he has to die at some point, but it's gotten to the point where it's like, wow, they're just never going to kill him. No, no. I, I always thought they were because Felix has already written that he's dead. Well, know? yeah, I mean, so um, I just hope I hope they were going to do it justice, and it looks like they will um, with the reappearance of Malachi in the, the latest books as well, which is cool. Yeah, he's an awesome slayer. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was quite an interesting story because um, Black Library and GW are now in the same office area, so they're talking between backgrounds between each other and things. So, um, they're, 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 yeah, they're feeding off each other a little bit. But this was quite cool for Black Library to see GW offering them kind of this this thing going on, uh, going back and rewriting kind of. Using the storm of chaos was, was just an excursion by the chaos forces. This is the real thing, because you know, bit wibbly wobbly, timey wimey with that. Right. The nature of the swords of empire. So um, set after storm of chaos. So, are you getting the impression that ninth edition is not going to be a reset back to before this happened? I no, no. My own personal, well, no. I wouldn't be surprised, shall we say if the next edition only has five army books. Undead Legions, Chaos Legions, um, Elf Legion, the uh, Dwarfs, Bretonians, Empire, and then Skaven, Orcs and Goblins, something else in there maybe. Where the heck would Lizardmen fit? Are you? They're not going to just remove armies, are they? I mean, you didn't get any hints of that, did you? 
no, there were no hints of that. However, I just don't see where the lizard men fit in. I was trying to find out from a store owner about his sales levels of lizard men to see where they fit, but they just don't fit in in that view of what we've got going on. We haven't seen a single thing about lizard men since they've gone. Now they're either going to not turn up or they're going to come back in force. But yeah, I I don't know. I think maybe lizard men you could get with the forces of good with the empire and the dwarves and stuff, or maybe even with the elves. But they obviously they're already writing an elf legions. Lizard men just appear in the middle of the empire and fight for against chaos. They're weird. I mean, what do you know? I, I just, I, the thing is, I love. I, I wish that book was better because I love. I love that army. I love the fluff. I love the story of that army. The book's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. In tournaments, that's that's again. GW don't care. Yeah, but it's even even you know just playing the for the friendly games. It's like they've got all these big cool monsters that they're just not that much fun to play with. They just I know people who would argue with that. Uh, I just it's, hey, it's just my opinion. Hey, you know I'm just the guy sitting behind the mic. I got you know, like you know I'm the guy who gets to voice his opinion. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but it just seems we're heading these these combined armies allow them to not get rid of most of their line but only produce five or six army books a year uh, um, over the course of a period of time rather than 16. True. Which, if, you're, if you've got a line that isn't making you enough money, keeping roughly the same numbers out there but reducing the effort put in to maintain them, maybe releasing, say, a Legion book every five months with a few big toys, maybe a unit, it, 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 it seems like a possibility. I'm not saying it is and people have their own opinions, but I wouldn't be surprised. So here's another question. Did you get any hint like, okay, you know, I know there's a lot of people who think it's really awesome to combine up your dark elves, wood elves, and high elves, and some people think this is just an excuse to take, you know, all wood elf core and then all dark elf, you know, specials with that and then just take a bunch of, you know, phoenixes from the high elves and create the master list. Did, did they say anything about like if you if they would have stuff you know in there to to just play as straight straight armies? You know, straight or did they just figure well you could do that if you want to? Why would we bother to tell you that? This isn't a GW, but this wasn't a GW thing. GW don't talk about what's coming up. They don't talk about those kind of things. Okay, so those kind of questions just don't get answered. I see. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not too sure that they're that worried. I'm, I think they're, they're giving people the chance again to tell these bigger kind of grand stories. And doesn't it open up a little bit, I mean, some of the sales to their lesser-selling lines? Because, you know, Tomb Kings, love them or hate them. I'm not judging them on their quality, okay, of the models or the army book or anything. Love them or hate them, they are sort of a niche army. They're not one of the most popular armies out there. You know, this is why I was trying to get um, sales stats off a friend because beyond beyond knowing that dwarfs sell well, orcs sell well, and chaos sell well, uh, I think ogres did for certainly a while. Um, elves are popular, but I don't wouldn't know which elves are the most popular. I don't know how popular armies are without seeing what people buy. I know what's popular on the tournament scene, right? You know, if if warriors of chaos weren't very good, they'd still sell because people love warriors of chaos, right? And I think the same is for elves. Um, you only have to look at 
the amount of people who bought Dark Elves out when they had a rubbish book back years ago. All of a sudden, they get a good book, and these armies are already made because people buy Dark Elves. Right. So, I, I well, I, and that's what I'm saying with Tomb Kings. Like even on our forums with the painting challenges and stuff like that, you're not seeing a ton of Tomb Kings from the from a hobby perspective. At least not on some of the forums I've been on either. I know there are people who love their Tomb Kings. I'm not saying there aren't. I can imagine them Bretonians, um, possibly lizard men, because of their aesthetic being quite. Quite specific. Yeah, uh, so, but I think Tomb King sales. I mean, for a while there, you. I mean, they were sold out of a bunch of the, the you know, the cooler items because people went, "Oh, I can take them." Yeah, I mean, uh, it's got to help their bottom so, line to open up the lesser armies and say, "Well, at least you could sell some of these things." But this is this is the whole purpose of what they're doing. They're trying to reduce the. They're trying to increase the profit from the ranges they've already got. I think that's the whole point of the end times and will be the whole point of the next edition. And it's sensible business strategy. How We'll see how, how the game is affected. Yeah, I just, I guess, and I don't want to be doom and gloom here. I mean, this I know this is, this is almost sounding this way. We keep talking about how these big changes. I still love the aesthetics of the models. I'm certain I'll still play. But I know several of people that I know, uh, you know, have been concerned uh, that this is going to turn into more of a skirmish game, you know. No, uh, I, I, I say I don't know anything about that. I oh, I'm, I know. I'm just I'm, I don't really get involved in that aspect of it. But um, uh, in regards to what we can carry on playing, at the end of the day, if you don't like a rule set, you can keep playing the old one for a while. Um, and you know they still got a wide range. Of, I can't see GW just just chopping off ranges of their models. Um, right, not not straight away. I can see them letting some slide away, like they did with Chaos Dwarfs years ago, things like that. But I can't see them just chopping it off straight away. Yeah, I just like I said, I'm hoping. I I I'm I'm happy to see what the new iteration of the game is. I just don't want to have hundreds of models for my army and then find out I'm only going to need thirty. You know what I'm saying? I don't want. I my fear. And I think some people's fear is that this is going to turn into a war machine-sized game. And I'm just, I'm hoping that that's not the case. It, you know what I'm saying? That's that's what makes this game cool, is you have these big armies, lots of big units ranked up, marching to war. And um, I guess that's my only, my only concern, is I don't want to lose that in my game. I'm not... Mm-hmm. Worried. I'm not worried about a rule set, to be honest with you, because, you know, play, like you said, you're going to play with what you like and you're going to adjust what you don't. I mean, if the rule set came out completely wonky, maybe our area starts imposing some comp and says, no, nah, we're not playing that, you know? Uh, you, I mean, that's it, it, it's it's my game. I bought the book. I could do what the hell I want with it, you know? I just, I just want to see the scope sort of remain, because if I wanted to play a skirmish game, I'd play Malifaux. Yeah, well, let's say um, I, I don't think there's any point in even getting worried about it until it comes out. Um, yeah, I see a lot of people commenting on it, and it's like, well, you know, it hasn't happened yet, so just keep keep Dude, doing. I've I, gotten I, not necessarily going to be buying many more models until I see what happens, but um, that's partly partly financial reasons and partly because yeah, I want to see how it all shakes up to see where I'm going to go with things. But I mean, who knows? 
Yeah, I, I, I said that before. I'm not starting another army until I know what all this is going to be because I don't want to buy stuff that I'm not going to need anymore. I've still got I've got so much stuff unopened here. I've just decided oh, I'm going to focus on what I've got. But uh, it's interesting to see what comes out with the next book. Um, a lot of rumors that it's Skaven. I know the accompanying book is being written by Guy Haley, who is a massive Goblin fan. We talked to him, and Skarsnick is in the novel. So cool. It's Skaven and Goblins, at least. What they're getting up to, who knows? <laughs> I'm, like I said, I'm, I, I am, I'm excited. Each new book, the story's cool. The rules are getting a little wonkier, but they seem to be scenario-based, and they seem like fun in your basement. I mean, yeah. And that's that's what I that's what I really look forward to. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of cool stories to be told in those. But as as far as information went, there there wasn't a great deal more from that that seminar. There was just a lot of chat about uh, writing stories within rigid structures and and those kind of things. That um, mm-hmm. if you're going to do big change, then you've got to do big change properly. Um, okay. And, and brutal decisions on on what was going to happen to characters and what was going to happen with armies and things, but no real decision <laughs> because it's a GW led event, so right. they can't do that. I see. I see what you're saying. All right. Well, was there anything else that anything else interesting that happened or that you want to tell us about? Or, um, there, I mean, there were a lot of uh, seminars uh, that were ended up being more say discussion points between authors with less questions being asked okay uh, it's, it's always good to see dan abnett and aaron demskimone and gray mcneil and whoever chatting about whatever they're talking about oh, yeah. main, to the heresy ones but, um kind of uh, discussing why decisions were made and what kind of implications it could have and 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 how Answering one question has opened up many questions, and and you, I mean, you've got to re- be into the books to kind of really get into these. And some of it goes more into the writing to be able to get something out of them. But um, again, there wasn't, there was no like kind of big release around this time in terms of the books, things like that. So there was no real kind of focal point for. For a lot of the talks, some interesting chats about within the Horus Heresy about holographic storytelling, about being able to have an, a 3D map of stories and see how they all link together, which was a really interesting chat. That's mainly Dan Abnett on, on fire, <laughs> to be honest, um, about how some some books in the, in the Heresy have to be written before another book. Not necessarily because it comes before it, but because the story for the next one needs setting up. So, oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's um, points of of interest with, say, Vulcan lives needs to be written before because events in that affect what's gone on in Unremembered Empire, even though there's a, a fair amount of time between the two of them. Um, gotcha. But, so, say when you when you get a couple of writers sat down and going through through how they work on things and they feed off each other because they get on really well um, when we're looking at the heresy um, still moving forward in its kind of second phase on the push to terror 
and the stories that that throws up and the nature of trying to get Primark A to location one. Gotcha. Location two and three and meets Primark C, who happens to be over somewhere else with Primark D, who never made it. Why didn't, you know, why didn't, um, you know, whichever Primark not reach Terra when his mate did and they were on the same planet at the same time? That there's lots of gaps in the heresy as a series, and and it's interesting for them to fill them out. So the, the the seminars, I say, they were they were more interesting, maybe, but less informative in terms of what they've got going on this year. But there was there was some cool stuff around. They had the one of the audio guys there on the Saturday night. You could take your turn at reading from the script from a space wolf audio book oh cool yeah so i had a go at that and i think once they're all done they're going to be emailed out to everyone that took part i think they're even going to pick one to use i could be wrong on that but um we were we were quite excited because a guy called snorri was over from norway who has a <laughs> masters of the forge so it was like wow we've got a proper scandinavian come in and be a space wolf um, <laughs> i think uh, jason mullins and carl Tuttle were uh, from the Overlords and the independent characters, respectively, were a few beers in at the time. So their Space Wolves had a very Californian tint to <laughs> their accent, but also the, the verbiage they were using. So, yeah, that, that was quite cool to be able to engage in that. Um, cool. And as usual, the, all the artwork there um, was awesome. But I think the best thing about these weekenders is that time you can get to chat to. Yeah, the authors and, and that, and having gone to quite a few of them, you start to build up, you know, a kind of working relationship at least with, with some of them. So Saturday night spent chatting with Graham and McNeil and then chatting with John French for a long time, which I haven't got to do before then. Um, Guy Haley and Christian Dunn, who's an editor, or he used to be an editor for Black Library and has written some books as well. That's when you kind of get some real interesting kind of bits of information coming out and some opinions that aren't necessarily being looked over by a black library representative because it's a private conversation so you can you can work the authors you can ply them with alcohol <laughs> for, for information that may or may not be able to be told on but yeah but, and, and then there, again there were people from all over there's a couple that came from Gen Con, uh, from uh, rough, I think they're from Indianapolis because I, I met the girl at Gen Con. She was a booth babe at Gen Con two years ago, which was a bit crazy weird. But okay. they, come, they were massively into it and spent loads of money. Cool. Um, yeah, they, they walked away with posters and all kinds of things. They were, they were, they were enjoying themselves immensely. Uh, but yeah, we had Belgians and, say, Norwegians and I think an Australian over as well. Very cool. Real weekend event thing. And I'll say that the the heresy one yeah, the, in February looks like it's going to be a blast. Nice. Well, I think it's time to wrap this up um, because I have to at this point. But um, was there any last little bits of anything that you wanted to hit before we wrap up, Greg? Um, at these events, sometimes you can get stuff 
that you can't get elsewhere. They do like to throw the, the, the merchandise at you. So, you know, I know um, Adepticon, places like that, when Forge World are turning up, they'll have their mugs and T-shirts and things. Right. But at the Black Library Weekender, they did have, if you spent £100, you got a lodge medal. For anyone not into the Hell's Heresy, that's a, it's a token that was used in these secret lodges. This thing is quite big. It's, I don't know, um, an inch and a bit across. It's big silverish coin with a lunar wolf's head on one side and the Black Library logo on the other side. Nice. It's really cool, yeah. Um, I'm not too sure what I'm doing with mine. I think I might be giving mine away on my show. Nice. Very sweet. Well, yeah. I mean, otherwise it would just sit on my shelf. So, oh, yeah. um, if it was a Space Wolf one or something, I'd probably keep it. Speaking of which, uh, tune in for After Eleanor because um, within the next episode or two, which I know they're spaced out, but the episodes are spaced out, and that's not bad when you're giving away a Space Hulk. Indeed. It's yeah. big news, that one. Yeah, that was wonderful. That was a princely gift. We will talk more about that on After Eleanor, but a listener sent that in to us, said, hey, I got that to give you can give it away on the show. So yeah. that's amazing. Yes. But so, uh, all kinds of stuff. It's great. So, folks, hope you enjoyed this. I hope it wasn't too doom and gloom. I know, you know, I mean, whenever there's going to be a big change and and it sounds like they're, you know, you know, we're cutting things down. We're making it smaller. You know, that, no one likes to hear that about their game, but we're not trying to be doom and gloom either. I just, every time I hear that, we're only, I, I said, honestly, is, is it Warhammer? I mean, do we know this for a fact? It's 15%. Of their sales is... No, I don't think that's a fact. Um, when I worked for the company the, well, a number of years ago, the, the chat was, even before that, it was that Space Marine um, 40K was 80% of the sales of GW and Space Marines were 80% of the sales of 40K. But that's going back 15 years. You yeah. Know, to, stats were maybe true. I, I don't know what they are now. I think the percentages have shifted quite a bit, to I just be honest. I can't believe that it's that low. I mean, there's so many people I know who play this game, you know? I mean, we, we talked about it at the weekend quite a lot. At the end of the day, I think lasers and spaceships are always a bit cooler than bows and arrows and wizards for kids and things like that um, in general. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I think you see it in film and you see it in books. Um so I think you're always fighting that element, and and it is um, it's, it's a much bigger scale of game to get into. It can be quite daunting, even though yeah. you don't have to play. Big thing, you don't have to play two thousand four hundred point games, guys. Play a thousand point games; they can be great. I, you know what? I told my students this this weekend or last week because I actually brought some of my stuff to school and I was showing them these things because they've been asking me to show it. And I said, if you're good and you get all caught up, I'll bring it on Friday. And they were looking into the games and guys were looking at getting into it. So I said, listen, if you're interested, they have these starter kits and they're 100 bucks. He's like, 100 bucks. I'm like, you get the rule book and you get two armies. I'm like, if you just buy the main big hardcover rule book, it's like 80 bucks. I'm like, if you buy this set, you get the soft cover rule book. And dice and two armies, small armies for a hundred bucks. I'm like, and if you like it, then what you do is you get a friend and you split the armies between you, and you got a nice starting force, and that way you can play for a hundred bucks, which isn't that much considering 
that a new video game, which doesn't give you any of this cool stuff, other than, I mean, I mean, it's cool, but it, nothing that you can keep when you're done with it, is going to cost you $65. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had a kid who lives at that because I don't know if I could ask my parents to spend $100 on a new game, plus I got to buy glue and those clippers and things. I'm like, so it's 125 bucks. That's two video games. How many video games do you think you're going to get for Christmas? And he's like, well, maybe three or four. I'm like, well, duh, there you go. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I started, even less back in the day, we used to buy, you know, a box of miniatures. That'll be it. And then a month later, another box of miniatures. Because that's all we could do. That's all I could afford yeah. back, in, back in the day. But they make it easy for, I, th- I think they do make it easy for someone who's starting off. I mean, now you could sit there and say, well, those aren't the best units. Well, someone who's starting off in the game doesn't care. It's not. If you've ever been in a GW store, they get kids in and they tell them to bring a, bring a unit and a character. And they just throw them into a fun game. And they might not even use all the rules correctly, but they just make it fun. So It is a game. And, and GW, uh, the way they bring kids in through the hobby is better than a lot of other companies in other in other businesses. The yeah. way they people on GW system works. I know it works because I I did it. Um, and you see you see these kids getting excited by the games coming back the next you know two weeks later with a brand new unit all painted up. And all of a sudden they have they've got fifteen hundred points and stuff. Yeah, it happens. But yeah, I'm, 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 I am a little bit, I think I was trying to describe it to a friend. I'm a little bit concerned with what's going to happen. But part of me also has a lot of faith in what GW have been doing over the last 10 years. So you, you look at the track record of, of the games, of the books, of, of what's been going, the quality of product they've been putting out. And although I'm, I'm unsure about where we're going and what's going to happen, I think GW are going to do a decent job of whatever they're trying to do. And then on the scene I play at, in, at the club with my mates, if we don't like something, we will just change it up. And I think the independent tournament scene will go, do back, the same. To, exactly. go back to the way it was. And they, you know, even now, they do what they want. A lot of tournaments don't play any scenarios or they make up their own scenarios. Yep. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not how the rule book tells you to play the game. So. And, you know, here's the other thing, uh, you know, because I've gotten emails from people, and I get emails just because I'm on the show. You know, we do a show, so people email us. Some people think that I have some sort of in, inside knowledge or just want my opinion or whatever, and it's like, oh, what if it does this? What if it does that? How are you feeling about this? This is going to be terrible. You know, you know, don't listen to the people who are saying that GW is going to be going under in the next six months, so they're producing all this stuff and pushing it out fast to make as much money as they can before they fold. It's just so much nonsense. Uh, and I also don't think that these just big models are here as a money grab either. Personally, I know a lot of people think they are. Well, this, you know, these these are gonna these are never going to work for a tournament, or this is going to be a campaign that nobody plays after six months, and then you've got all these big models that you're never going to use. Dude, buy what you want, play what you want. Don't worry about that. These molds cost tens of thousands of pounds to create um, as a money grab. If they don't sell, it's a big, big risk to take. Um, you know, they know they probably are going to sell because they're making these quality models. The amount of people I've seen buying Nagash just to... I mean, I've got a friend I work with in the fire station, and he doesn't play the game. He buys cool models and paints them 
and I think he probably you know will want to play the game occasionally, but he's never going to be a regular player. He's like Nagash is amazing. I'm buying Nagash and painting him because that's what he does. Exactly. Forty k players buying Nagash to convert him into all kinds of things because it's a freaking cool model. People, cool models always sell. Simple as that. Yep. That's, that's and that's GW's GW's whole thing is we're going to make the best coolest models on the market, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. That's you know that that's going to be down to an individual perspective, but there's no doubt that the the scale and the quality of production of those models, the Glockkin, the Gash, they're just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, phenomenal. And if I had money, I could throw away. Because <laughs> it would be, because I wouldn't get around to making them and painting them, you know, and that's just a fact of life. That's not saying the models are expensive. I, I'm, I can't do that with anything. Every so, time I'm at G, every time I'm at UGG, I want to buy the Glotkin. I don't know my, when I'll ever play it. I don't know when I, I don't know when I'll get around to painting it. It's so freaking cool. I just want to build it and have it sitting on my shelf, even if it's gray plastic. It's like this is phenomenal. I played against it first game of the weekend, and the guy who owns it has got it because it's a cool model. Simple as that. I was like, I'm bringing it. I yep. don't really care. I'm bringing it. It's just the way it is. So I have it, – it's one of those things. I'm I'm anxious a little bit as to what's going to happen in terms of how am I going to have to deal with what happens. Yeah, but, you know, whatever. I can't worry about it because it's not happening yet. So what's the point? Yeah. And – and just have a little bit of faith in GW. Sure. And on that note, let's wrap this up. Folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back with more Garage Gamer. We'll, we'll probably be back with more Horace Heresy Weekend or Black Library Weekend stuff on another Garage Gamer in a few months. Whenever Greg goes to these things, I'm always interested to hear what happens. So we will talk again soon. Greg, thanks for uh, coming on and giving us the info that you got. All right, folks, talk to you later.